0: this is section one hundred and fifteen of mark twain speaking this librivox recording is in the public domain dinner speech government house annapolis maryland may tenth nineteen o seven read by john greenman yes i have been arrested i was arrested twice so that there could be no doubt about it i have lived many years in the sight of my country an apparently uncaught and blameless life a model for the young an inspiring example for the hoary-headed but at last the law has laid its hand upon me mine was no ordinary offence when i affront the law i choose to do so in no obscure insignificant trivial manner mine was a crime against nothing less than the federal government the officers who arrested me were no common or garden policemen they were clothed with the authority of the federal constitution i was charged with smoking a cigar within a government reservation in fact i was caught red-handed i came near setting a stone pile on fire it is true that the arrest was not made effective one of the party whispered to the marines what governor warfield was going to say and did say in introducing me to the audience at my lecture that i was one of the greatest men in the world i don't know who proposed to tell that to the marines but it worked like a charm the minions of the law faltered hesitated quailed and today i am a free man twice they laid hands upon me twice were overcome by my deserved reputation uh, perhaps i ought not to say myself that it is deserved uh, but who am i to contradict the governor of maryland Worm that i am by what right should i reverse The declared opinion of that man of wisdom and judgment whom i have learned to admire and trust i never admired him more than i did when he told my audience that they had with them the greatest man in the world i believe that was his expression i don't wish to undertake his sentiments but i will go no further than that at present why it fairly warmed my heart it almost made me glad to be there myself i like good company speaking of greatness it is curious how many grounds there are for great reputations how many different phases that is to say greatness may take on there was Bishop Potter. He was arrested a few months ago for a crime similar to mine, though he lacked the imagination to select United States government property as the scene of his guilty deed. Now, Bishop Potter is a great man. I am sure he is, because a streetcar motorman told me so. A motorman is not a governor of Maryland, but then— bishop potter is not a humorist he could hardly expect a certificate like mine i rode with the motorman one day on the front seat of his car there was a blockade before we got very far and the motorman having nothing to do became talkative oh yes he said i have a good many distinguished men on this trip Bishop potter often rides with me he likes the front seat now there's a great man for you bishop potter it is true i responded dr potter is indeed a mighty man of god an erudite theologian a wise administrator of his diocese an exegete of yes broke in the motorman his face beaming with pleasure as he recognized the justice of my tribute and hastened to add one of his own yes and he's the only man who rides with me who can spit in the slot every time (laughs) that's a good story isn't it i like a good story well told that is the reason I am sometimes forced to tell them myself. Here is one, of which I was reminded yesterday as I was investigating the Naval Academy. I was much impressed with the Naval Academy. I was all over it, and now it is all over me. I am full of the Navy. I wanted to march with them on parole, but they didn't think to ask me curious inattention on their part and i just ashore after a celebrated cruise while i was observing the navy on land i thought of the navy at sea and of this story so pathetic so sweet so really touching this is one of my pet stories something in its delicacy refinement and. Uh, the elusiveness of its humor fits my own quiet tastes the time is two a m after a lively night at the club the scene is in front of his house the house is swaying and lurching to and fro he has succeeded in navigating from the club But how is he going to get aboard this rolling, tossing thing? He watches the steps go back and forth, up and down. Then he makes a desperate resolve, braces himself, and as the steps come around he jumps, clutches the handrail, gets aboard, and pulls himself safely up on the piazza with a like maneuver he gets through the door watching his chance he gains the lowest step of the inside staircase and painfully makes his way up the swaying and uncertain structure he has almost reached the top when in a sudden lurch he catches his toe and falls back rolling to the bottom At this moment his wife, rushing out into the upper hall, hears coming up from the darkness below, from the discomfited figure sprawled on the floor with his arms around the newel post, this fervent, appropriate, and pious ejaculation, God help the poor sailors out at sea! i trust this matter of my arrest will not cause my friends to turn from me it is true that no matter what may be said of american public morals the private morals of americans as a whole are exceptionally good i do not mean to say that in their private lives all americans are faultless i hardly like to go that far, being a man of carefully weighed words, and under a peculiarly vivid sense of the necessity of moderation in statement. I should like to say that we are a faultless people, but I am restrained by recollection. I know several persons who have erred and transgressed, Uh, to put it plainly they have done wrong i have heard of still others of a number of persons in fact who are not perfect i am not perfect myself i confess it i would have confessed it before the lamentable event of yesterday for that was not the first time i ever did wrong no i have done several things which fill my soul now with regret and contrition i remember i remember it so well i remember it as if it were yesterday the first time i ever stole a watermelon yes the first time at least i think it was the first time or along about there Well, it was it was uh, must have been about eighteen forty eight when i was thirteen or fourteen years old i remember that watermelon well i can almost taste it now yes i stole it yet why use so harsh a word it was the biggest of the load on a farmer's wagon standing in the gutter in the old town of hannibal missouri while the farmer was busy with another another uh, customer i withdrew this melon yes i stole is too strong i extracted it i retired it from circulation and i myself retired with it The place to which the watermelon and I retired was a lumber-yard. I knew a nice, quiet alley between the sweet-smelling planks, and to that sequestered spot I carried the melon. Indulging in a few moments' contemplation of its freckled rind, I broke it open with a stone, a rock, a dornick, in boy's language. It was green— impossibly hopelessly green i do not know why this circumstance should have affected me but it did it affected me deeply it altered for me the moral values of the universe it wrought in me a moral revolution i began to reflect now reflection is the beginning of reform there can be no reform without reflection i asked myself what course of conduct i should pursue what would conscience dictate what should a high-minded young man do after retiring a green watermelon what would george washington do now was the time for all the lessons inculcated at sunday school to act and they did act the word that came to me was restitution obviously there lay the path of duty i reasoned with myself i labored at last i was fully resolved i'll do it said i i'll take him back his old melon not many boys would have been heroic would so clearly have seen the right, and so sternly have resolved to do it. The moment I reached that resolution, I felt a strange uplift. One always feels an uplift when he turns from wrong to righteousness. I arose, spiritually strengthened, renewed and refreshed, and in the strength of that refreshment carried back the watermelon, that is, I carried back what was left of it, and made him give me a ripe one. But I had a duty toward that farmer as well as to myself. I was as severe on him as the circumstances deserved. I did not spare him. I told him he ought to be ashamed of himself, giving his his customers green melons and he was ashamed he said he was he said he felt as badly about it as i did in this he was mistaken he hadn't eaten any of the melon i told him that the one instance was bad enough but asked him to consider what would become of him if this should become a habit with him i pictured his future and i saved him he thanked me and promised to do better we should always labor thus with those who have taken the wrong road very likely this was the farmer's first false step he had not gone far but he had put his foot on the downward incline happily at this moment a friend appeared a friend who stretched out a helping hand and held him back others might have hesitated have shrunk from speaking to him of his error i did not hesitate nor shrink and it is one of the gratifications of my life that i can look back on what i did for that man in his hour of need the blessing came he went home with a bright face to his rejoicing wife and i i got a ripe melon i trust it was with him as it was with me reform with me was no transient emotion no passing episode no philadelphia uprising it was permanent since that day i have never stolen a water uh, never stolen a green watermelon. End of Dinner Speech, read by John Greenman.